Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I am your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast, and if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. With that said, let's get into today's show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. It's myself and Julia, our co-host in the US. Um, and we're back talking about, is it okay to ask your architect certain questions? We did the first five of these uh, back on episode 97. Um, so we're here to do another four. Um, how are you doing, Julia? You good? Good. Women's World Cup finals today. Actually, like now, this minute. So it's very exciting. Ah, good, good. Well, you can go and watch it after. Wimbledon is on as well. So I've been watching a couple of the games. Have you been watching any of those? I haven't. I'm just not a huge tennis fan, but mm. it's always a good game to watch. I feel, I feel like it's one of those things that I should watch regardless of how interested I actually am in the sport or not. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's just get into it. Um, so the next question really about this is, um, how you, how will you explain, um, the project to me if I was your client? All right. That's a great question because it sort of gives me the architect an opportunity to lay out the entire process to help you understand where we are in the project, what's going to happen, what decisions need to be made when. And also how I'm going to walk you through the design. Just, I guess, very basically, like how I'm going to physically show you the design. Um, and then so, first of all, just in terms of explaining the project phases, at least in the U.S., sort of the AIA standards, there's schematic design, design development, construction documents, and construction administration. So it's those four main phases of the project. I mean, there's pre pre phases to that involving much more in terms of like benchmarking, planning, research, but those are usually for general, larger commercial projects. So that doesn't really relate at all to sort of the smaller home projects. But schematic design is typically when everything is very, you got to imagine you're drawing with like a very fat crayon or a Sharpie, like something just really big and bold. We're not about the details. It's rough and tumble. We're just talking about ideas, very generalities. What's the heart of the narrative? What's the effect? What's the feelings that we want? It's sort of a very loose creative stage. Um, there are floor plans. <laughs> There's reality attached to these ideas generally, but it is an idea heavy stage. Design development is kind of when you pick a couple of those um, ideas that you're really drawn to, and then you explore them more and then things start to get a bit more real square, real square footages are much are attached to, you know, the, Living room's got to be this big. The pool has to be this big. The kitchen, we need to seat X many people at the island. And then so we start to zone in on some of those details. But 
at this point, um, like the exterior walls are still moving a little bit. The interior walls, there's a lot of pushing and pulling, but you know, things, things are very much in development. A lot of times, this is where a lot of program is added, you know, because we've started to think much more in detail. And then suddenly the clients come back to be like, ah, you know, you know what? I know we said we wouldn't need it, but you know, we really need a place for, you know, a mother-in-law suite for someone to come and stay and be semi-independent or I, Hey, we really need another bathroom. We need another study, like whatever. So a lot of times the program does get refined in this stage. And then, um, whenever you can add the program to, to know the full scope of the program, the earlier you know that, the better it is because it sort of becomes this, um, monster if you don't if you keep adding on as you go later and later and later in the design process because you've it's not that you pass a point of no return because it's all theoretical at this point it's all just lines on a pieces of paper or in the computer whatever but in order to not completely make the project unprofitable for the architecture firm you can't throw out everything and start from you know start from scratch it's just sort of untenable and so you can get these homes that were once beautiful in theory, and then you get all these little rooms and programs sort of added on, like almost, this is sort of mean, but I call it like little tumors <laughs> growing on your project just because they're just like popping out everywhere. And all of a sudden you're like my beautiful roof line. And I have this like stinky dormer <laughs> sticking out, ruining the volume, etc. Anyway, that rant aside, that's sort of what happened in the design development phase. Construction documentation, um, it's less about the creativity of the project, and this is more about the reality of the actual building. This is when we cut all those very, very detailed wall sections, and so we know how absolutely everything's coming together. We need to make sure that um, the HVAC design actually works. There's no beams in the floors that's going to prevent a duct going through, and all of a sudden you're going to have a stupid drop down in your soffit, etc. So it's not fun for the client, and so, but that's actually the bulk of our work, which is. I guess, sort of unknown to a lot of people. Um, traditional AIA billing, 40% of the bill happens in the CV stage. And so that's, it's just time heavy. It's the quote unquote real work of architecture. And so it's a lot that's happening on our end, but not a lot of decisions necessarily needs to be made on the client's end. But it's, that's when you, that's when you go from the idea to like that very thick set of drawings that you can actually give a contractor, get a very detailed, good, accurate bid from then send it to permit and, you know, start building. So I can imagine when you, you, ju- you just explained the bit where it's all like not so serious at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's the point where you're going to need me as a client um, on board more because there's going to be lots of uh, ideas you need me to tell you. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, you're going to be suggesting ideas to me as well. But then I, I guess after that, could I possibly expect you to go a little bit quiet and not have to contact me as much when you go into the detail of the construction design or like, cause you said it's not really to do with the client. So, um, yes and no. Um, I think they're very, the two different ways of interacting with the client in the sense that I'm after two different types of information in the beginning. It's very much, I'm getting to know you as a person. I want to know how you use your space, how you want to inhabit the space, how you want to feel, how you want to plan for the growth in your family, et cetera. How, how can we make this so the space can evolve with you if it's that kind of a project, you know? Okay. If 
then in the construction document phase, it can be very nitty gritty to the point of, well, some of it's actually not nitty gritty. Sometimes um, we're just verifying, okay, so this is your bathroom. What kind of curb do you want for your shower? You know, do we need to drop the floor slab here? Do we need to build up a curb? Are you trying to plan for ADA? And so it's, there is still input needed, but it's a, those are, be prepared to make a lot of minutia-like decisions okay. because that's, we're, we're at the point where every eighth inch or even sometimes a 16th inch, like that's, that's the scale at which we're drawing at. Mm, okay. Okay. And, uh, you mentioned like there's, there's the bit where you try not to get carried away with too many ideas because then it becomes non-profitable and, um, and it just drags out. Um, how would you keep track of that? Like I would come to you with loads of ideas, but I wouldn't necessarily know how much these are costing me. Right. So how would we keep track of that? Cause then I think if you said to me, my ideas are going out too crazy. Right. I, I would back, track back, you know? Well, every, I think every architecture firm, they, you know, we all sort of develop our own style or way that we like to interact with clients. Mm. Personally, I would probably tell you like, whoa, <laughs> this is a little crazy. Literally probably in those words. Um, I think also, hopefully we had a conversation in the very beginning. You know, hopefully everyone has a conversation in the beginning where there's a real solid understanding of how these pro- this project is being built and what the expectations are. And so if we passed the schematic design phase or the design, de- if we passed a certain phase and it's, you can usually see it on the bill, like X many hours or this service closed out. Now we're moving on to this phase. Mm-hmm. And then, so sometimes clients do come back to be like, Oh, I want to explore this and I want to do this. And there's, and it's fun. I get it. I mean, that's why I chose to do this as my job, but sometimes when they keep going back to earlier phases, it's again, it's simply a conversation of me saying, Hey, look, we can explore these ideas, but we have finished that phase. We can go back to that phase, but there's depending on each firm, again, the specific contract and how it's structured. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very fair to say you can expect, or maybe even should expect extra fees because you're essentially they're You're asking them to redo work and, Mm -hmm they're not working most likely they're not only working on your project, but they have a lot of projects. And I mean, my, my industry is nothing but deadlines. And so I, we need to balance all of our clients. And so we can't just spend you know all of our time on that one project. And so we, we, we have to move everything along. Okay. All right. So then on to the next question, who, who else is on my team and how will you all work together? That is a great question because, um, I, the architects, we design your homes, but we are by no means the only professional involved in this whole process. There are in the very, very beginning, super, super early. Okay. Okay. There are projects that don't need this. Like if you're just, you know, redoing gut renovation, gut renovation of a flat, of a condo, of a co-op. There's, there's no grade. <laughs> we know what, what you see is what you get. But a lot of times what we need in the very beginning, if it's a single family home or we need a, we need a survey. And then a lot of times the surveys are, they'll be out of date. 
the city won't accept one that's after X many years old, et cetera. And so early on, you'll need to hire, there's a good chance that you'll need to hire a surveyor. And so surveyors also get busy. Some are better than under others, honestly, because we've gotten, we've gotten plats that are like really wrong. I hate to say it, but it happens. I can, I can agree with you on that one. There are, there are not so good surveyors and brilliant exactly. surveyors. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and the good ones are busy and then you need to schedule a time for them to come out to your site. And then, so again, if you're super anxious to build and you're like, I want to, I want to break ground in like five months, like, okay, well, that's a really short, but anyway, besides that, think about it. the two weeks of just getting the survey that eats into your time to do absolutely everything else, because we can start doing all these other things, but we really need to know what the dimensions of your lot are. We need to know where the setbacks are, which tells us where the garage can go, which tells us how close can you be to the front of the street, et cetera. And so surveyors, definitely important part, engineers, structural engineers, and civil engineers. Civil engineers generally come into play in my experience, when you have a significant amount of grade change, because then um, I can't even design your driveway because it's very specific in terms of the grade, the curves, the radiuses, how much soil can be cut and filled, et cetera. And then structural engineering, I think that's pretty easy for everyone to understand. There's the ones that sort of make sure that everything stands up (laughs) and doesn't fall down on you. Yeah. Then also um, it is worth noting that, especially if you are in a special zone or if your city is just sort of notorious for taking forever to get a permit. I know a lot of big cities are this way. Permit expediters is another part of your team that you should consider getting. Okay. I mean, imagine that's the same thing as a building control officer, I think. Do they help you get the expediter fast, get the permit faster? Yeah. Cause you're not having to rely on the council to, to do it. Oh, okay. So yeah. And the, and when you're referring to a permit, you're referring to a license to build or a license yes. to check. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's usually a building, private building control officer is the best way to go forward. Out of curiosity, how expensive are they in England? Uh, 900,000, like on average for a typical home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds about similar. Cause here, depending again on like the size of the project, I mean, we just got a permit expediter, honestly a couple of months ago just to expedite the permit necessary to put a new washer dryer in an old unit. And so that was a small job fast, but I think anywhere between a thousand to like two, three thousand, depending on the size of the job yeah. is reasonable to expect. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today. Yeah, so there's a lot of coordination between a bunch of different professionals with their own sort of technical expertise. And so, but again, so you got to think about it. I do a lot of the design work and then um, we plan that with the structure in mind. We plan for where the driveway is going to go in mind or how this house might sort of stair step on the site, et cetera. 
But yeah. then all of that does need to be sent out to the engineers to sort of really verify if it all works. Is there something that we haven't thought of? Or, yeah, we can absolutely build this. It's just really super expensive because it's all welded steel on site. And you're like, oh, okay, back to the drawing boards. And so you, again, there's, again, it's not like a necessary it's not a lull in the project, but you may experience it as a lull because we'll send drawings out and then we're waiting to hear back from the structural engineer. And so yeah, it's work that the client has, it feels like a lull because I think they're not inputting, they're not talking to anyone. And so it seems like a standstill, but. Okay, good. And then the contractor would, would be part of this as well. Contractor, not, so, not so much. It depends. It depends. And honestly, it's, um, it depends on how, on when the client wants to get it bid out. Yeah. Sometimes clients just want a very accurate bid. They just want to put it out to bid competitive, a competitive bid once. And so at that point, it's really good to wait until we have real drawings. Like yeah, very yeah. sort of almost a complete sort of construction document set, and then we'll get very accurate bids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes clients are just like, "I have no idea how much this is going to cost," and sometimes I'm like, "You know what? I don't know either because a lot of it does depend on finishes and fixtures." And oh, I mean, honestly, a lot of it depends on the contractor too. Are they high end? Are they low end? Not low end, but you know what I mean. Yeah, of course, of course. No, it's it's the same thing. Um, I mean, it's one one of uh, a contractor's. Uh, pet hate is actually hearing from a, a client, potential client, um, saying, I, I want to do this. How much is it? And then the contractors, have you got any drawings? Nope. Okay. So come back to me when you have. <laughs> right. Makes no sense. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. And then, um, what is your role with a contractor? That also depends. It's, um, there's again, there's, there's a whole bunch of ways to sort of skin a cat, however you want to say it. And so depending on the budget jobs, it often actually goes back to the budget. So for like very sort of white glove, full service architecture, mm-hmm. I will manage your project. And so I essentially, that means I manage the contractor and help manage the construction. That's why there's that whole phase yeah. of construction administration. And so Certainly you can, you're invited to be there, you know, for on-site meetings with whatever frequency they're at, but oftentimes the client's not there, you know, cause they're at work to be honest. Of course. And yeah. so, um, I sort of manage a lot of the decisions, the problem solving, the troubleshooting, whatever may happen. Um, there are some, especially when it's a renovation, there's always things that come up. You find a problem. I go there, I help solve it. You don't, sometimes you don't, the client doesn't even necessarily need to know about it. If it could just quickly be taken care of. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit, because I would imagine that some clients, especially if they've never done a build like this, um, they would probably think that that they do need to be there and are a little bit uncomfortable if they're not. So then they end up taking time off of work or stuff like this. And I think um, it would be good if we could reassure them that sometimes they they are not required to be there. And it's only because they've made all of the decisions with you as an architect. Um, and a, a majority of the meetings that you would be having with any contractor is in build terminology. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's not, it's just going to go over their heads anyway. 
You know, it's not like, uh, and you wouldn't be making any decisions without the, uh, their, their approval anyway, I guess. Correct. I would say true on all accounts there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually interesting because there's actually this one project and it's sort of interesting the way it's playing out because this is the first time that I have a group text with me, with myself, the client, the GC, the owner of the company and the um, foreman. And which is one group text, one group text. And we all sort of chime in. A lot of times it's just a lot of things going back and forth between either um, the site supervisor and the owner or the site supervisor and the client. And I'm honestly just sort of a silent bystander until I hear someone say something. I'm like, Whoa, no, (laughs) yeah, that's not cool. We need to do this or let's have a meeting. And so it's a great way to sort of watch that. But I have noticed that a lot of times, I mean, it's texting, it's rapid fire. There's a shorthand to it. And the client will come back and be like, what is everyone talking about? Yeah. And then there's sort of a moment where I, I, I go on to a different you know, private text and be like, hey, this is what's happening. You don't need to worry about it. This is typical. This is the way we're going to solve it, et cetera. But it, there are a bunch of those moments where the client doesn't necessarily need to hear it. And you could, I can see that it obviously it stresses them out because it's a problem. It's the fact that it's normal and very solvable doesn't matter. There's still that no, type of, of stress. Um, I honestly think that's sort of up to the client. I think some just really want to be involved and some just want it taken care of. Mm. And yeah, so I think, yeah, they might just want to be involved to learn themselves. Absolutely. Like, yeah. To understand it all. Absolutely. Because in the end, they are going to own the home that you're building for them. Usually at at least that's how it happens. And then they'll have to maintain it and take care of it. So the more knowledge they have, the better armed they are to, you know, whatever maintenance issues come up, they're going to be that much better at taking care of it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but not necessary, but they are welcome but I would say when you're on site, do be prepared to have a lot of jargon kind of being thrown at you. But also, you know, this is your home. So feel free to you know speak up and just ask the questions to make sure that you understand because it's not, I will say this, I said it before, I'll say it again. Building is not rocket science. It's just, we're dealing with gravity and we're dealing with water and snow and the weather. We're just trying to keep that out, but it's really quite simple. And so if you ask a couple questions, a good professional will be able to explain to you quite simply. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask to repeat because it might not all go in the first time around because it, it is, it is a, a lot of technical information as well, right. which seems very simple to us because we're in it day in, day out. So, sure. so from someone that's getting it firsthand, it's yeah. difficult, I guess. And I, I mean, to be honest, I go on site and ask dumb questions all the time too, because there's always a new condition. I'm like, wait, isn't it like this? And then I'll, I'll get schooled and I'll learn something. So it's, yeah. it's fine. Okay. Um, so on the last question then, by this time, I've really loved having you around. I hope it's so. Been, <laughs> <laughs> it's been really, really nice getting to know you. Um, but when are you done? Um, the blunt answer is I'm done when you tell me I'm done. Okay. Because, uh, there, there are times when unfortunately the relationship between the architect and the client don't work out. And then, so the client is usually there's not, 
a, Hey, you're fired. Sometimes we just stop getting calls, which is fine. And a lot of times it's not due to unhappiness with the service. It's just sort of like they start seeing those construction administration's bills come in and they're like, you know what? I'd rather not pay them. So I'd rather not have the architect help manage the construction. Honestly, that's what usually happens. And so, and I understand because it's still, it's still money. And then that money could have bought, you know, any number of things for the house. Um, but technically an architects, if it's full service architecture, and then this is sort of what's true for, um, like larger commercial projects, like the, the real ending point for an architect's services is basically after the punch list is closed. And the punch list is that list of rem- out- items or tasks outstanding remaining that need to be done in order for the client to get the certificate of occupancy. Basically, when you get your building back, when it's turned back over to you to live in, to own, to maintain, all of those things. Uh, when you're saying a punch list, this is a, what we call a snagging list, something like that, okay. right? Yeah, this is like um, improvements, small improvements or adjustments. Right. Being like, yeah. hey, you've got an electrical plate here. We need to finish labeling the panel yes. over here. A whole That's bunch it. of tiny. Yeah. Before it can be completely commissioned and signed off. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. So that's technically when we're done, but sometimes we are asked to bow out earlier due to budgets or sometimes I'm saying the, the owner is like, Hey, you know what? I want to, I want to do this myself. Like I want to learn and I'm like whatever bumps along the way, mm-hmm. like I'll learn it. And we've had that happen several times and we're usually called back to troubleshoot <laughs> something later, you know, but then again, it's just like an on-site fee or an hourly fee. You know, sure. it's just whatever it just, I mean, I think it's, um, some firms are more strict on this because they want to ensure that their projects go well because it's part of their portfolio. It's the way they want to do business. And so it, it depends, but I think for most smaller projects, homeowners, you know, people who are our audience is listening to the show. Just remember that, you know, I'm in the service industry. You know, you can, I'm in the design industry. I'm in the creative industry. Like, yeah, yes, but I'm really in the service industry. And so it is all about you, the homeowner, the client. Yeah. And your services can be tailored, basically. They, they, Absolutely. they, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, some people won't, but no. again, it's a service industry. So just go ahead and ask. Exactly. Cool. Good. Some great answers. Thank you very much, Julia. Thanks, James.